Warning, this episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Gurus Hang Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is Mark Zaus. Mark is an internationally acclaimed soloist who for decades entertained audiences at Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom. Videos of Mark's performances have amazed and frustrated trumpet players around the globe. His seemingly effortless command of the upper register of the trumpet puts him in elite company. But what sets Mark apart from other trumpet players is not his knowledge of the horn, it's his knowledge of the brain. This episode is guaranteed to blow your mind. So pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin. Welcome to this episode of the Trumpet Guru's Hang, and I'm your host, Jose Johnson, and I am with Mr. Mark Zaus, and uh, I'm really looking forward to this one. I think I'm going to geek out uh, a whole lot on this. So, Mark, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great. Thank you, Jose, for having me on, on this uh, podcast. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure, and uh, I'm sure there's the, you know, Folks, you're gonna you're gonna hear some stuff that's probably gonna blow your mind today. So, uh, besides uh, m- besides Mark's amazing command of the trumpet, uh, if you haven't heard any of his clips, uh, either the stuff that uh, he's done with, uh, man, you go all the way back to Future Core, right? Yeah, that's another lifetime ago. Yeah. <laughs> so all the all the work at Disney, his solo work. Um, you know, just some, some tremendous stuff. But but the, what fascinates me the most about Mark is uh, his approach to the trumpet, which is based on his uh, knowledge and his abilities as a uh, clinical uh, psychotherapist. So um, I'm really happy to do this one. So uh, why don't we just jump right in? Um, how do you feel... Uh, that the the well I'll, let me back this up for a second i know you're doing you've been doing a lot of lessons and, and you have a, a great website with a lot of information on there um what do you think is the most critical component of the mental aspect of playing that people are just way off base about that's a great question so the 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 aspect i feel is most important is it's gonna, this is going to sound a little bit uh, non-psychological, but it's steady air. Uh, so it's this flow of steady air. It's, it's getting the body to be as, re- as relaxed as possible to be in this sort of zone so you can perform right. Uh, so in martial arts, which I, I don't know as much as you do about this, of course, but it's the, to be in the most relaxed and peaceful state so you can perform the best, you can react the best, and, uh, and perform the best. So you, you feel like uh, it, it puts you in a non-tense environment, a non-tense sense, a non-tense stance. Uh, so when you play, you're, you're not playing from an anxious point and uh, you're able to control what's coming out naturally without forcing it. Right. Yeah, I, I was reading uh, one of your blog posts on your website and um as you were talking about, uh, I guess it's actually your most recent post about uh, you know, some of the, the anxiety that we're all dealing with. I mean, obviously, this the COVID situation has uh, brought a lot of underlying uh, tensions and issues and anxieties to the surface. And 
uh, you know, you're talking about using long tones as a meditative practice. And I, I am a big proponent in understanding the aspect of breath and as it relates to uh, you know, regulating your, your sympathetic and your parasympathetic nervous system uh, and, you know, trying to, to calm that, that fight or flight reflex. Um, so I, I just found that really fascinating to hear somebody else talk about it. So it, when you're talking about that, that continuous, uh, trying to get that smooth and straight, steady stream of, of air, um, how do you go about if you you know you're working with a student and you see that you know they're having some problems maybe tension in the the, the torso uh, you know neck tension uh, head tension uh, what's the the mechanics that you would take somebody through to help to uh, start to relax physically and mentally so that they can access their ear more efficiently? Well, I love talking about this. That's it's a great <laughs> question. It's nice to hear somebody else say that too. Thank you for that. Uh, so. So the mechanical part, so there's two aspects of this. There's one, or, or three rather. There's a, it's a cognitive behavioral component of it, and there's a mechanical part, which you described. That would be more towards the behavioral part, uh, correcting the mechanics of it. And then an explanation or psychoeducational part of it. You know, why am I getting stressed? Where does this, uh, where does this unsteady air come from? Uh, so the mechanical part, the, the, the first part of the, or the last part of the question you asked, is, let me grab my trumpet down here. When you're playing, uh, through the horn, there's going to be some resistance that the trumpet creates, you know, when you blow through it and you blow through the tube or the, the actual horn part. Um, now, that resistance kind of covers up some of the air that's unsteady. Uh, in other words, it makes it not as evident. So we want to first get the air as steady as we can before we start playing the amplifier part of the trumpet, which is the part without the mouthpiece, the horn with the bell, right? Uh, so the first thing I would tell the student to kind of unlock the shoulders and everything. So if they approach the trumpet with a tense stance is um, uh, to take, first take a deep breath and then relax. And in a few moments, if this is okay with you, I'd like to explain why someone gets tense, the reasons yeah. why. Let's do it. Uh, so that to correct it, first of all, it would be to establish steady air. The first thing you do each day is to establish any steady air. Uh, what that means is you take the mouthpiece, uh, this would be like the beginning of the stamp routine uh, that some of the, a lot of players do this, Malcolm McNam or Turo does, uh, and you'd first play a low C. Mm. Oh, kind of mute in there. <laughs> low C, so you can get a reference. You can use a piano too if you want. And then it's the buzz a low C. Now, I haven't uh, buzz a low C in a few minutes, and I did this on purpose. I want you to listen to how unsteady my air is. <sighs> So you hear it kind of quivering and shaking. So that means my body is still tense. Neck is still tense. Throat is still tense, right? And there's uh, more neurotransmitters kind of flying around in the, in the front part of my brain than I need. And I'll explain that in a minute so it makes more sense. So I need to calm all this down. The next thing I do, take another deep breath. <sighs> kind of let it all out. Then play this low C again. Now, the air was about 50% steadier than the first time, right? Now, right. you can also, my, my speech is slowing down somewhat, too, right? I don't know if you can notice that. I can't. Right. So. 
Take another third breath, you repeat it again. And then to save time, you would, you would buzz the mouthpiece again. If I were to do that again, hopefully my air would be even more steady than it was. Okay. That, that makes sense so far? Yeah, absolutely. So you get it steady on this first, then you're ready to play the long tone and the trumpets. Next thing I tell the student is something I heard from Winton Barsalis in a seminar that he gave back in 1983 or four. This is a long time ago. And I was in the audience listening to him. Uh, it was 19 bucks to get in. And I remember him up there talking to him going, wow, you know, getting <laughs> to see him. So what he told us all to do uh, is to play a low C as soft as we can with as steady air as we can. Uh, and again, if I were to do that now, to save time, I won't, but it, the note would be, uh, uh, it'd be kind of unsteady. I rest, I play a B as soft as I can and as steady as I can below the staff, a B, and then rest and then a B flat, follow the same directions, A, A flat, G, and then F sharp or, or G flat. Uh, by about A, my air, my air starts getting steady. So I want to establish steady air and what it feels like to play the trumpet calm each day before I start to play the trumpet. So if I don't do that, my brain, I find, does not automatically know how to play the trumpet relaxed. It just goes in its own tense way like it always did. So I learned if I do the same thing I always did, I'm gonna get the same thing I always got. I'm gonna get tight. Uh, if I don't teach my brain and body how to relax each time, I'm gonna get tight. Uh, does this make? Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm with you 100%. Okay, so the next part, when if you while you're watching this um, this uh, interview, uh, if those of you those of you who are watching, take a deep breath and then release the air. And I want you to uh, think about what you think or don't think right after you release the air. So what goes through your head right after right after you release the air? So it would be like this. So what goes through my head is absolutely nothing. For about two seconds, I can't think of anything. It's just a, a tabula rusa blank. I uh, can't think of a thing. So what happens when you breathe like that, the oxygen that you take in uh, goes into the frontal lobe of the brain, which is up here, the prefrontal cortex. That's like our executive decision-making center where we make decisions and we think, and that's where our anxiety is and our our perception of things or, you know, when you're kind of looking around making the decisions and, and thinking thoughts, that's where they all are. The oxygen dilutes the neurotransmitters. It's like you're squirting your driveway down with a hose, getting leaves off of it. It just makes them go away. They return fairly fast, uh, fairly quickly, you know, within four or five seconds, they, they return back in there. So what I tell patients with uh, panic disorder or anxiety is this one thing. And what I tell trumpet players is another thing. The two are really simple, similar. Um, so if you had a panic attack or panic disorder, I would say breathe in, take a deep breath like we did, and breathe in through your nose slowly for eight seconds. Relax your shoulders. Hold your breath for four seconds. Breathe out the mouth for eight seconds. with steady air, that takes 20 seconds because it's eight, four and eight is 20. Then you repeat that three times. And what you're doing when you're holding your breath is the body is taking the oxygen that you have uh, in your lungs and it's sucking it up into the frontal lobe. That's the first place that oxygen goes. So 
it's like you stepped into a Las Vegas casino where there's shoving a bunch of oxygen in there. Right. And uh, that calms down the hypothalamus, the parasympathetic nervous system, sympathetic nervous system. It calms all that down. So if we're ever watching a terror movie, like a horror movie, like Friday the 13th or something, you notice that uh, when you're uh, watching the movie, in a, let's say you're watching Psycho. I'm a little bit old school, so this probably was made before many of you were born. Uh, apologize for that. But any terror movie, let's say. So somebody's getting stabbed in the shower. You notice you get tense and and real tense and your heart's pounding and everything. That's because the hypothalamus gland in your brain cannot tell the difference between uh, reality and perceived reality. It cannot tell the difference. Hypothalamus gland is the fight or flight gland and it's in kind of in the middle of the brain and it affects the frontal lobe, it affects the brain. Also tells the uh, endocrine system to fire up, it tells the adrenal glands right on top of the kidneys to start pumping out this adrenaline. So it gets, causes you to do this causes your heart to pound, sweat. Uh, also makes you shake and makes you not be able to focus on what you're doing. So if this happens in martial arts, for example, you're going to get punched in the head and not do very well or not function as well as you could. Uh, trumpet playing, it's the same thing. Uh, for anxiety, it soothes the hypothalamus uh, when you do that breathing exercise. When you start to do that breathing exercise, it tells the hypothalamus everything is okay. Therefore, the hypothalamus associates, if you do it while you're watching a terror movie, it associates watching the terror movie with being relaxed instead of being terror, feeling terror. It assimilates the two together. So when you play the trumpet, it assimilates when you breathe with steady air, like we, like we talked about with the uh, Winton's long tones and with the mouthpiece. You assimilate playing the trumpet with being relaxed instead of how we were brought up to play the trumpet, which is you got to hit the high note. It takes more power and pressure and energy. That's the way you got to get the note out when you're trying to play. So instead of doing this your whole life, which is proper, what you have to do to get the note out, you have to relearn how to play relaxed so that you can be efficient again. And that was a long talk and I appreciate you listening to that. And I was trying to get it out as fast as I could for you to death, but so. Oh no, don't, don't sweat it. Don't sweat it. That, that was great. Um, yeah, it, uh, it's, I, I think, like for, for me, for example, um, when I was younger, I had a great deal of stage fright. Now, it only occurred when I was solo. You know, I put me in an ensemble, I'm fine. Uh, you know, make me play by myself or, you know, a little spotlight thing, and, you know, I would start to freak out. And that's one of the reasons, actually, I got really... Um, serious about martial arts training later in life is that was the demon I was trying to uh, to slay uh, and I just couldn't do it in the context of music I had to find another way of doing it to be to feel like I was self-sufficient and you know I it's that that thing that you become programmed you have this autonomic reaction to things where you know it's like you you, you immediately start thinking the uh, like the, the the saying the ants the uh, automatic uh, negative talk you know, starts coming up the negative thoughts come up uh, you know you have the fears that come up and you just automatically I mean I know people who have developed stage fright so bad that you know even when they just open up their case they start to feel the physiological uh changes so uh i know that some of the the work that you do in terms of uh the workshops and the the classes that you teach uh you, you help people with stage fright um what's uh, you know what are some of the most common symptoms 
uh, that you've run across, you know, the, the symptoms, the causes, and then some of the, the potential solutions that, that you can look at if you're dealing with stage fright? I could talk to you all day. This is, <laughs> I love these questions. This is great. So with stage fright, we have these negative cognitions or thoughts, like you just said, and they kind of overwhelm us and build. And what it is, is you're going out on a stage and you're doing something you don't usually do. And you're thinking, what if I mess up? I should have practiced that more. So the shoulds and oughts, I ought to do a better job. Uh, and then the, some of the talk turns into stuff like you should have practiced more. What if you messed up and, uh, and such over there played much better than you, or, you know, you start beating yourself up with these thoughts. Those thoughts, again, attack the hypothalamus, causes that uh, fight or flight reaction, adrenaline starts pumping. So the answer, your, another part of your question, which is what are the physical, what are the symptoms, most common symptoms? Well, they would be the same as the terror movie in a way. So it would be increased heart rate, sweating, racing thoughts, and the frontal lobe. And uh, dry mouth uh, is a big one I hear a lot. Uh, trembling is another one, hand shaking, and and those are the most physical thoughts. So the, the way to treat it, which you also asked, is the first step is awareness. <clears throat> it's to be aware that, uh, uh, okay, I'm getting anxious. Then to acknowledge it, which is saying to yourself, I'm getting anxious because I have stage fright. Give it a label, call it a name. I have stage fright. I have this name that some theorists would say don't label anything because it uh, gives it more power. Well, this to me, it, it externalizes it, it, gets it out of your brain, it calls it something so you know it's not part of yourself. Right. Um, then you breathe, you do that breathing exercise again. If you're backstage and people can hear you, uh, breathe around the side of the curtain and you control the breath. And then the thoughts are the next thing that you would do to treat yourself. As you're doing this eight, four and eight thing, the thoughts are, it doesn't matter if I mess up, this audience does not own me, uh, I'm not doing surgery right now. If I, if I mess up, no one's going to die. Uh, it isn't as critical as I thought. I'm supposed to have fun. Uh, and then thoughts might come later on, like, screw these people. I'm just going to have fun, you know, to, to, yeah. to be more blunt about it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, now, I mean, you have a, a, a very prolific uh, career. Uh, I mean, you've you've been you've been performing for such a long time, and uh, you know, in, in the trumpet community, you certainly have garnered quite a reputation, um, particularly for your your high chops, which are just stupid, stupid good. Uh, but I mean, also your your jazz chops. I mean, uh, you know, you, you know, you're you're just a, you're just an, an amazing all around player. Uh, do you still feel like you're dealing with, you know, battling these kind of, uh, of thoughts and, and issues even to this day? I don't anymore. Uh, my biggest fear, this is truly what happened, is I was playing in Miami, right, Epcot, in Miami, and Arturo was watching, and I was fine. I wasn't nervous. And then uh, I really listened to a place for like, man, I hope he liked what I did. I started getting nervous afterwards. Then I got a message from his agent that said, he wants you to play lead on his next album. And the second trumpet player is going to be Randy Brecker. And he named a lot of the players. And by the fourth name, I was like, 
oh no. Uh, you know, I was getting pretty scared at that point because I hadn't played with people like that, you know. And uh, so I started getting nervous for about a year after that. I'd go play these uh, things I've been doing for a long time. I get nervous at them because I kept thinking, you know, what if I mess up in front of Randy Brecker? And what if I uh, screw up and, and they don't like me and I don't do the job that Arturo wanted me to? And then I played with him a couple times and I got to know him. I played some duets with him and I stopped getting nervous because the, the guy is so damn nice. I couldn't, I, I couldn't get nervous anymore. It just stopped. Once I got to know him and, and got a different perception of what he was and what his heart was and how he felt about things, I just, it just went away. Uh, so that taught me a lot. That taught me that perspective has a great, uh, great deal of power over, over your, uh, perception of nerves and, and things like that. Perception has a great deal of power over uh, your expectations is what I'm trying to say. A lot of people think that you want to become fearless uh, and that fear is a bad word. Uh, it's like they think stress is a bad word. Uh, I personally don't think that. I think it's, it's our inability to manage uh, those things uh, yeah, like stress. Uh, if you don't have stress, then you have no need or desire to change. There's no forward momentum. Uh, if you didn't have any fear, then you do all kinds of stupid crap that you probably shouldn't do. Um, so I, I think that, that they're healthy. Any emotion is healthy. It's just uh, when we can't manage it and we can't drive it forward. Uh, I really like what you said about uh, defining things, uh, naming things. Uh, I've been a big proponent of that, that, you know, when you... Yeah, you, when you give something a name, you, in some ways you do give it power, but in the other aspect of it, you take power away. Because when you can identify something as, uh, I'm nervous, I'm anxious, I'm, uh, I'm afraid, I'm, you know, whatever it is, as soon as you classify it, then it gives you the opportunity to come up with a solution for it. It's the unknown that gives us the problem. So I like the idea of knowing what you're dealing with, because then it's just a, a matter of finding uh, getting access to the resources that are going to help you to, to solve that, that specific problem. That's right on. That's exactly right. That's, I, I cannot say that any better. That's right on the money. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about um, your, your uh, time at the, the land of the mouse. So uh, as we talked about before, you, you were back in the day with Future Core. Um, I, I know, uh, you know you, you've done the... Uh, is the Magic Kingdom? It's the which which is the band that that you were most recently with the uh... Uh, uh, Main Street Philharmonic. Uh -huh. uh, that was from 2015 to March. 12th was my last day. They closed down for uh, the COVID thing, and I, I'm still not back. Their band is back, but I'm not going to be joining them back there. Uh, I started working as a psychotherapist from home, and I, I love it. And um, the what bored I'm getting is I'm helping people. And it means a lot to me to do that. They're all over the world and it's just amazing. You know, I do miss playing full time, but it was also kind of hot out there. So I don't miss it in the month of August. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I bet. I bet. So uh, were, you, were you with Disney for that entire stretch uh, from, you know, from Future Core all the way up to just this recent? Uh, no, I, <clears throat> I was not. I was with Disney and, uh, I started subbing out there in 93 and a group called the Hollywood Hitman and then some fanfare trumpet things, which were great. <clears throat> and then, uh, 94, I was in future core and they, uh, they were playing these funny looking 
trumpets, and I didn't know. <clears throat> I'm sorry about my throat. I didn't know what they were. And uh, because, oh, it's a bugle, and I'm blowing through it. I can't make a sound. And so what's, what's wrong with this thing? And I still say that. Uh, what's wrong with this thing? <laughs> But it was in a different key. I, I figured it out. And uh, so I learned to play that. I had two weeks before the audition, and I learned how to play this thing. And uh, I did that until 98. And I went to the um, uh, group called the Hollywood Hitman again, uh, at MGM Studios at the time. It's now Hollywood Studios. And did that. And we got laid off from that group in 2001 uh, in April before the Twin Towers uh, thing happened in September. So then I started going back to school. I went to school for um, eight years. I became uh, a psychotherapist, got licensed, board certified, did all that stuff, and then practiced as a therapist. And I played gigs with my own bands the entire time. That's what put me through school. Uh, my wife came up with these uh, uh, different groups, and that's was brilliant ideas. And that's that's what I did and still do and will do again. And uh, then uh, the practice I was working at, the private practice in 2015, was uh, decided to close their doors because the two owners had an argument. So they abandoned all the patients, and it was a really bad scene. I quit right before they did that. Something didn't seem right there, so I just left. And the, um, I got the Disney job, and I was doing that from 2015, uh, October, until uh, just recently in March. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, you've gone from, from being the full-time musician to being now the full-time uh, therapist um i it, there's there's certainly a uh in some some ways of looking at it they're just like completely different ends of the spectrum but um yeah i i can see where where those skills kind of meld together uh so so how do you how do you see your skills as a uh musician because we've already seen how your skills as a psychotherapist help your your uh, your work as a musician and as a and a teacher, but how do your skills as a musician help you uh, in the world of psychotherapy? Well, the understanding of performance anxiety they both kind of played a role in each other, but it's the it's taking the steady air, it's, it's having to figure out how to play calm, and and, and the way I discovered this, I had to play in future core. Uh, our, we did seven shows a day, um, 7.30, we got done at um, 3.30, or 8 o'clock to 3.30, sorry. And then I had to play in a Dixieland club uh, at night called Rosie O'Grady's. Uh, and that was much harder than Future Corps, about 100 times harder. You, know, you're, you had a hamburger face when you got done. And it was four one-hour shows from 8 to midnight. And uh, you know you've got awful work when you got out of there. And it was like playing the circus. Uh, so yeah. I, had to, I had to figure out I needed the money. I was trying to pay off a credit card debt. So uh, I had to figure out how to play from do these eight shows and these four shows day after day <clears throat> to make this money and, and not lose my face. So I was playing these long tones. I remember what went and said, and I, I remember this technique or this theory on how to play relaxed so that the entire night I wasn't, working any harder than I had to. And on the breaks, I would do long tones. So I, instead of just waiting on the breaks and doing nothing, I practiced every break, except for if I was eating or playing chess. Uh, it's the only time I took a time off. And um, by playing these long tones, I could play the next set and not strain as nearly as enough. I mean, nearly as much as I would have. So that knowledge of the, from having to figure it out uh, of, how to use air to relax yourself, how and why it reduces 
attention and everything. That's what helped uh, me understand how to uh, do the breathing techniques and why they work for psychotherapy. Okay. Cool. Very cool. I, would you classify yourself, and I, I hate using this term, so yeah, I just, it, but it's just one that, that people use a lot. Uh, do, would you consider yourself to be a natural player uh, or, you know, did you, are you one of those guys that, 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 you know, just had to bull yourself, you know, through gaining all of the, the range and the technique that, that you've accomplished? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the, we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. I'm not sure, but I'll tell you what I, I know. Uh, in other words, I've seen a natural player, and I'll describe him in a minute. <laughs> it's a little different than I am, but natural meaning when I started playing the trumpet, in sixth grade, by seventh grade, I could play a G or an A. And uh, my, I thought that, this is going to sound stupid, I thought Maynard Ferguson was some guy that went to my high school. And <laughs> so I never met him, but I knew he, was, he played lead or something at the high school. And I was in junior high, so I never saw him. So I was playing along, wow, he's made these records. I was kind of gullible, you know, and uh, saying to my brother, yeah, the guy goes for high school. My brother's, what? Okay. I, I don't know if he even got what I was saying, but so I'm playing along with him on the records. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to be able to do that or, and I sucked. I, I wasn't, you know, sounding like he does. And matter of fact, I probably never will and never have. I'm not, nobody has a sound like him. Yeah. Right. Nevertheless, I could play the notes along with him and they were inefficient. I was playing wrong, but I could still hit them. Uh, then I got another teacher and he taught me how to do it somewhat correctly, best he could. And, uh, I injured my ribs a couple times and then learned how to play correctly. Now the natural, so that in that way, I had a good ear. I, I could listen to things played back. And now the natural player, I don't know if it's a savant or what do you want to call it? Uh, a genius would be like Marcus Printup, where I'm sitting in a car with him going from Jacksonville to Orlando. He takes a Clifford Brown cassette he's never heard before. He was a young man at this time, so he's just getting into this stuff. He'd only been playing trumpet, I think, two and a half years. So he listens to this. I, I know this is the first time he heard it. He took the wrapper off. He stuck it in my car, CD, my cassette player tape. It was a 79 Coupe de Ville Cadillac, right? I love that car. So he hears it once in the car. He rewinds it, takes out his trumpet, and plays it along with Clifford Brown, the entire 64-bar solo, note for note. After hearing it once, so that's a natural. Uh, so uh, I don't want to. I don't want to say I'm. That's a different league that I've never seen before. So the rest of the trip, he's convincing me not to quit. <laughs> well, I'm glad he convinced you not to quit. <laughs> so, All the yeah. way from Gainesville to Orlando, don't quit. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, Marcus is a he is one of a kind player. There's there's no doubt in that. So. Uh, I, because you've done so much uh, in terms of, of music, I mean, obviously, you know, when you're working at an amusement park and you're doing in that kind of gig, you, you have to be versatile. I mean, you, you have to, you're going to have to play a lot of different stuff. Uh, and 
I am familiar with uh, some of the recordings you did with uh, your your own band. Uh, so some some very cool stuff there. Um, what's what's your favorite? I mean, uh, I, I I know you probably love everything, but I mean, if if you just had your choice of what you're going to sit down and play just to be happy, what's your go to? It's I know the answer to that. It's playing just. Uh, New Orleans music and swing and stuff like that and bebop with my wife, just doing just us two playing is the, the most fun thing. And the most the most fun job I had at Disney was the Hollywood Hitman uh, at MGM because of the uh, rhythm section was just on fire. It was smoking. And we would do things in that group that I just never did done before. Like in uh, shiny stockings, like a bassy arrangement. And there's a, it's a slow tempo and there's four beach rests everybody comes in and hits exactly at the same moment laying back and everything so you don't get those experiences all the time so that was my favorite disney gig it also the reason i also like it i should say this we're underneath an overhang and it with a fan on us so it wasn't as hot (laughs) that really takes the wind out of you with that 114 degree heat index you know yeah yeah did did you ever feel like you were uh, maybe getting burned out on playing um, or, or was there, you know, is this something that uh, you just kind of, this is a natural evolution for you. And, um, you know, because I know that, that, that kind of gig schedule can be, can be a lot of pressure. Well, yeah. Uh, if every time you do an activity, you put your hand on a burner, right. You're going to, your brain's going to not want to do that activity. That's what playing in the sun was like, you know? So Disney would stick us in direct sunlight. It's so that the audience could sit in the shade, which I get what they're doing. And it's an outdoor theme park. That's how it is, you know? So I'm not blaming anyone for this, but so in playing the same thing over and over again, uh, started to, it gets at you for a while. So what helped is I did these, I got off work and I did these or took off work or whatever and did these other gigs and that, that keeps you kind of balanced. So you have to be careful about playing the same thing over and over again. It takes the meaning out of it. Yeah. It, it, the yeah. arrangements were great. There's, there's nothing wrong with what they were. It's just it takes the, it just beats you down. You know, you're sweating and it's in your eye. You know? Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when, uh, I was, you know, I was looking at some of the stuff that you have on your on your website, which I mean, it's a fantastic site. There, there's a link to the website uh, in the the show notes. Um, but you you have a lot of stuff in there about uh, the Caruso method, and uh, also you do talk a lot about uh, the stamp method. We've talked about that a little bit earlier. Um, how did you how did you come into these techniques, and you know? Obviously, you feel that they're very important, but uh, what's what's the, the level of impact that it made on you and your playing? Oh, huge impact. My teacher, Cy Prywiller, he's still, uh, he lives still in uh, South Florida, Lake Worth. He's still there. And he's He taught me these uh, methods. He taught me the stamp routine and the Crusoe routine. He taught me correctly. He taught me the, exactly how to do it. And I didn't listen to him because I was 16 and I knew more than him. Not. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I did them wrong for the longest time. Uh, so when I did stamp routine, there's there's a 
let me back up a little bit. My teacher studied with Stamp. He took a lesson from him and with Caruso. He went to New York and took a lesson with him. There's some guys on Facebook that uh, like the over 50 group. There's another group. They, um, they studied with him, uh, took lessons from him themselves and everything. They know a lot more about it and how he was and everything than I do. Uh, but what I learned, my spin on it or my view of it is that I learned to rest as long as I played with the Stanford team instead of rushing through it as fast as I could. You really take the time to get the most out of each note and focus on the steady air. And then the, uh, that's, a, that's what I take from that. And the Crusoe method was to just not move the thing off your face until you get done with it. And, uh, but uh, that's what developed my range more than anything was, was doing those two methods. Yeah. yeah, I've played around with the Caruso off and on during my career, and I just, I, for some reason, I always get extra, extra stiff uh, when I when I play those. Um, so I've kind of bounced back and forth. But some of the stuff that you said in there is like, oh, okay, well maybe I'll try this again and you know give it a give it a little revisit and and uh, see if I can find find that sweet spot. Uh, and, and do a lot more with after the playing the, to do the, the flapping uh, and, and let, you know, getting rid of that lactic acid so that the stiffness doesn't build up. So, um, yeah, the, the stamp stuff, you know, and so many guys are, are, are huge on stamp. And, um, yeah, I, I, if you look at anything and, and you see if there's a level, there's a track record, right? So, yeah, lots of guys came through the Caruso method phenomenal players lots of guys came from the stamp method phenomenal players so it's, it's looking for the kernels of truth in there and, and finding things that work for you and, and making them uh, part of what you do um, so with when you're doing stamp uh, you know is, is that so, so do you do you do those two uh, routines as part of your daily practice or is this uh, you know something that you at this point in your career you just kind of use as, as maintenance stuff well it's been maintenance recently, so sometimes it's only Stamp and Crusoe. And, but the first thing, no matter what, is the Stamp, is to get it that steady air like we talked about, and then mm -hmm. the Stamp routine, rest as long as I play. And then the Crusoe six notes, and then the, the range builder. On the range builder, I, don't, I go up as high as I can until no sound comes out. It's different sometimes every day. I don't worry about that. And sometimes it has a double buzz and sounds god-awful. I don't pay attention to that. And I also don't go any, I don't rest 20 seconds and go back again and try, try to play. I've not had good results with that. Uh, but there are, a lot, there are people that know more about this Caruso method than I do and, and stamp. Uh, so it's important really to never just take one person's view, but to gather information and put it all together. And then some people, like you were just saying, uh, what I've heard a lot is that they do the Caruso method and they feel a great deal of tension and stress and it, makes it more difficult for them to play. Well, then that's not the exercise for you. That doesn't mean you're good or bad. It means nothing. It just means that uh, you need a different exercise. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk equipment for a couple minutes. So uh, you, uh, you play a rather large setup in terms of your horn. Is that, uh, that the Shoki, correct? Yeah. Yeah, it's an X4. It's got a 468 bore and a brilliant bell. And uh, it's like a 44 Magnum. It's it's really <laughs> fun to have. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I've, I've had conversations with uh, different players. Uh, and I think guys, 
What, what I found anecdotally is that guys who are more uh, session players, um, you know, you're, you're on the mic, you're in the studio, uh, they seem to be going towards downsizing, like using, you know, small equipment, very, very tight, very directional. And guys who play a lot of just in your face out there playing like to go with a larger, larger horn so you get that spread of the sound as opposed to that, you know, just very kind of lasered focus, which, yeah, that sound prints really well on a microphone, but it doesn't carry outside as well as something that's got that big, you know, uh, huge sound. Um, so when you, um, when you're doing these, these gigs, I mean, you're playing on that, that kind of a size, size horn. Um, do you feel like sometimes the horn, uh, is hard to keep reined in, uh, or, or that it's, uh, it demands too much energy, uh, or uh, have you just gotten yourself acclimated to that? No, I, it feels so free-blowing. The weird thing about this, and, and weird and good thing about this Shilke, is I can back off and it feels like a piccolo trumpet. And, but if I jam the air through it, it just wants more. And, uh, but it has enough kickback on it because of the uh my seven backboard that it's a warburton mouthpiece that uh it has enough resistance for the backboard that it can i don't get uh crushed by it if that makes sense yeah now if i play loud outside it's gonna like at disney it's gonna echo off the buildings down the street i can hear some slap back and it's this broad sound that'll fill up outside right now if i played into a, a microphone and the microphone was in my bell. Let's say it was a nice Sennheiser mic. And I'm playing as loud as I can into the mic. I learned this from a guy named Paul on a, one of the, uh, online. Um, I'm going to sound not as loud. The sound man would be turning me up because I'm playing as loud as I can. He'd be turning me up because he can hear me as well. If I back off and play about 75% like Roger Ingram would do, I'm going to be super loud into the mic. So, and Roger Ingram's going to use a smaller bore and he's going to focus all his sound and energy right into that microphone. And he's going to be louder than hell. And he knows what he's doing. He's playing in super efficient. Uh, yeah. That makes sense. Frank Green. I mean, I, I could name a ton of guys, you know. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, it, that's the thing that I love about doing this show and, and just being uh, part of the trumpet world and getting to talk to a lot of different people is that, you know, there is no one right setup. There's no one right way. Um, I think the only right way is to, you know, I think I agree with you about being just being relaxed, uh, you know, because that's the only way you're going to get any level of longevity because uh, tension is going to be your enemy at, at the end, end of your career. So, you know, learning to play relaxed and as, and as efficiently as you possibly can with the equipment that works for you, with the exercises that work for you. Yeah, you know, I think that's great. And, and uh, you yeah, the great players all have this kind of open mentality like, yeah, well, hey, this is works for me, but you know, you figure out what works for you as opposed to um, what I've experienced with a lot of people, particularly in, in the education field, uh, they have one way that they learned and that's the way that everybody needs to do it because, you know, that was like the, the dogma, the tradition of the, that they were brought up in. So uh, do you find yourself like 
experimenting with things like you know kind of looking at, at new concepts and and you know trying to tweak things or to to find uh new solutions yes i sure do uh so in college uh i'll tell another story at risk of driving everyone insane by listening <laughs> to my story in college i was playing an arvin uh exercise so it's when i sing a little bit of, you know what I'm talking about. It's thirds and it goes into sevenths and then diminished. And you could, you could find the pages in there. It's like 148. It's different than different books. So I'm playing that in a practice room and our school paid the count basic band to come play with us. I played this Arvin thing. I'm playing, I'm like three quarters down the page. Right. And I'm spitting. I'm like, because I'm playing from here to the bottom of the page, top left hand corner to the bottom right corner. Like it, it implies, right? So if you look at the Arvin book, it implies to start here and end here. And if you have endurance, you could play everything without a lot of rest. So that's what I did. So he beats on the door and he says, I'm about half, three quarters of the way through. And I'm sounding pretty raw at this point. You know, I'm spitting and stuff. And he goes, cracking notes. He goes, are you tired? I said, yes, yeah, I'm tired. And he goes, are you practicing how to get better at being tired? Well, yes, I am. As a matter of fact, he was really nice, by the way. Yeah. He asked yeah. it. He was a super cool guy. So I said, what would you do? He says, play, uh, but, you know, rest as long as you play. And so what I did, I adjusted this by playing, playing the line through. I, you don't need to hear me sing it. And then I play a low, low C as soft as I could with steady air. Right. And then I play the line again. It was much better. So, I would play the line, play the low C, rest as long as I played, play the next line, play the low C, rest. So it added more time to my practice, but my God, did it sound good and it, re it sounded better. And it um, reinforced that uh, how to play relaxed instead of how to get better at being tense. So every time I put the trumpet up to my face, it was, it was associated or assimilated into playing uh, uh, relaxed. So the autonomic reaction you were talking about earlier is a relaxed reaction as opposed to a tense one, which I could previously condition myself to be. Yeah. Wow. That's very cool. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the, um, I, I love problem solving, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think maybe it's because I spent so much time in my life in various things that I've done beating my head up against the wall <laughs> that I finally had to to learn how to develop problem solving skills and 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 being uh, analytical and that's one of the things I love about like mindfulness of being able to detach yourself emotionally from things and just to be able to look at look at it and go well this is what it is so you know hey now let's find a solution and uh you know as opposed to you know freaking out and stressing out and everything so uh I think that um you know as as uh, a community, as a trumpet playing community, um, it's so critical that people like you, people who have, uh, you know, not just the the chops to pull things off, but also have the ability to explain to people uh, what are the processes, the physiological processes, the neurological processes. You know, it, the, I think the more we understand what we're doing and how we're doing it, it's going to give us a, a much better uh, position for uh, uh, being able to play music and um you know it's the uh music music comes from your heart but your head gets in the way 
So I think the more we can get our head out of the way, our bodies are going to be able to, to do the things that we've trained it to do. So I really, I really love your approach. And uh, I would honestly, I would, I would say anybody who's trying to figure out more of how to get into uh, a deeper level of understanding about playing that they should definitely look you up and, and, you know, if nothing else, just check out the, the great information you have on your website, but, you know, definitely, you know, hit, hit my man up for some lessons too. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm going to do that. So. No, I'd love talking to you. There's, I don't just, just talking to you for, would be great. To, yeah. also, well, well, next time I get down to Florida, you and I are definitely going to have to have a hang. So and, but, and people who have uh, armature fatigue syndrome, in other words, they've been playing their whole life, their face is shaking, they can't play anymore. Mm-hmm. That's what I'd like to, uh, that's what I want to talk to, too, is uh, I, I think I might be able to help with that. Uh, and not take your money, not do, it's going to take you uh, 10 weeks to do this. It's, it's to spend as little, do it as fast as I can to, you know, get you better as quick as I can. So if you can't figure it out. I, that's what I like to help people with. Yeah. So, oh yeah, I, uh, I, you, you have something about that on your website, I believe, uh, talking about, uh, the, the way the cranial nerves and everything are, are all hooked up. And, um, yeah, that's, that's just, uh, you know, the, the human body and the, the human mind are amazing things. And, um, you know, it, they require a little bit of a little bit of work. Uh, we don't have an owner's manual for them per se, but uh, as we've done more study and start to understand how they work together as a holistic system, uh, and because I think that's part of the problem. You know, people have problems playing, and you know, the first thing is like, well, I got to change mouthpieces, or I got to change horns, or you know, and so you know, we'll, we'll start we'll start at the end as opposed to let's go back to the most foundation thing. And it's like, how are you approaching your playing? What are you thinking about? What are your mechanics? What are, what are the, the fundamentals? And uh, I think that, that the, the mental side uh, has been overlooked by too many teachers. Uh, yeah, they've got great technical studies. They've got the great physical approaches, but it's the mental stuff that I think has just been, uh, there are very few people that are really, really talking about it. So uh, talking about it from that perspective is, uh, I think, one of the things that's going to make a huge difference for a lot of players. Yeah. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to wind up here in a couple minutes, but I do a speed round, my speed studies. Oh, okay. All right. And we're, I'm going to throw a bunch of questions at you, and I just want your quickest answer. They are not all going to be related to music. Matter of fact, most of them are not related to music. So... <laughs> Let's see what you got for me, Mr. Zaus. Okay, here's the first one. Who's the biggest influence on your life that is not a trumpet player? But not a trumpet player. Whoa, probably my <laughs> wife, Kathy. Oh, okay. That's a good one. Uh, what is your favorite book? Uh, well, it's Dr. Irving Yalom, Group Psychotherapy. I don't recommend it if you're not into that. <laughs> okay. All right. What's the worst movie you've ever seen? Star Crash. <laughs> I have never even heard of that, so I'll make sure to never watch it. Uh, if you, well, this this question, I can just toss that card as, if you were a trumpet player, what would you want to do? Well, yeah. <laughs> there you go. You're doing it. I'd be a doctor, actually. I would uh, probably do that if I was smart enough. <laughs> if I could pass a class. <laughs> okay, what's your favorite drink? Uh, Diet A&W root beer. Ooh, 
diet, I'm not with you on that. Yeah. Right. I remember as a kid growing up having the A&W stands, you know, and getting the, the, the fresh from, it's like with beer, you know, when you get it from the tap, it's just so much better. A&W root beer floats. That yeah, was better out of the tap. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you could have a dinner party and invite any three living people. Who would they be? Barack Obama. Uh, let's see. Arturo Sandoval and the Dalai Lama. Oh, good dinner. Just make it four and invite me. Uh, you could, same thing, you're going to have a dinner party, but this time you can invite any three people from history. Oh, I'd love to talk to Einstein. I'd absolutely love to talk to Einstein. Uh, probably Lincoln and uh, Washington. No, not, no, no, it wouldn't be Washington. It would be uh, uh, Martin Luther King. I'd love to talk to him. Actually, that'd be my first choice. I just had, enough, had enough, not enough coffee. <laughs> All right. Lacquer plated or raw? Raw. I, I don't like the lacquer. All right. What's your favorite quote? Uh, Quincy Jones, not one ounce of your uh, acceptance. Oh, geez. It's a Quincy Jones quote. I've been saying it. I say it all the time and I can't think of it. Uh, uh, one out, not one ounce of my happiness is based on your acceptance of me. Uh, it sounds mean, but it's. No, I, 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 I know where he's coming from. Um, well, I think we touched on this one before, but we'll say, what is your greatest fear? Uh, probably not being able to make enough money to get food. Okay. Um, you could be granted one superpower. What would it be? The heel. What aspect of trumpet playing do you feel is the most overrated? High notes. Ah, okay. Now, what aspect of the trumpet of trumpet playing do you feel is the most underrated? Playing music, playing musical, playing actual music. Why would a trumpet player ever want to play music? Right, right. <laughs> What's the point? Yeah. High notes, music. It's a, it's a war weapon. What do you... <laughs> All right. Um, you have the ability to go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice about music. What would it be? Keep it fresh. Really, keep it fresh. Okay. Um, and while you're back there, you're going to give yourself one piece of advice about life. Um, go to medical school, I think, would might be the, might be the first one. <laughs> And um, what do you want your legacy to be? Just to be known as a kind person, really. It's not, not, I don't care about the trumpet or anything like that. It's just to be known about the, as a kind person. Somebody was nice to people. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think if everybody kind of had that attitude, we'd be living in a much different world. So, um, yeah. I kind of intentionally, I try to stay away from a lot of the, you know, how do you play so damn high questions all the time? Uh, because, uh, you know, uh, there's there's tons of answers on that. But I'm sure that that's a question that you get frequently. You know, how, how do you do that? Um, but what I want to ask you kind of is our final question. 
is what is the one question that you wish more people would ask you? Uh, well, because I know the answer, it would be something I can answer, which would be how do you play high more relaxed and efficiently? I get asked that, but that's the, that's the question I can answer and you know the answer to, so it's when I gravitate to them. Because there's so many I don't know the answer to, but I, <laughs> I would pick that one. <laughs> You'll pick that one, okay. Yeah. All right, so if you want to know how to play high, more relaxed and efficiently, that is the question that you're going to ask Mark. And the link to his website is uh, going to be in the show notes, so just go ahead and, and uh, contact him and, and set something up because uh, he's he's got it going on, that's for sure. So uh, I want to really thank you for your time today. Um, it's It's been a pleasure, uh, and uh, I feel like we could talk for hours and hours about I oh, yeah thank yeah. you you're, you're brilliant man i'd love the way you stuff you figured out and, and uh, where you're coming from with the martial arts we got a lot to talk about yeah oh absolutely and uh, i think i'm gonna uh, try and schedule a show where it's kind of like a, a meeting of the minds uh so kind of a, a philosophical approach to trumpet playing so we'll uh, we'll have to, to get that going and, and just kind of have a roundtable discussion about the about the brain and music. I think that would be a fun one to do. I, I, maybe most people wouldn't be interested in it, but hey, it's my show. So, That's right. <laughs> so anyway, thanks again, uh, Mark. And uh, for those of you who've been spending the time with us, I enjoy your company and I hope that you uh, got something out of this. And remember... It's all in your head. So peace and slide grease, we're out. Hey, thank you so much for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating connection through our mutual love for the trumpet life. I hope that you learned a few things about today's guest and had some laughs along the way. Don't forget to give us a review. We love those five-star ratings. And please share this podcast with your friends. We want to see our hang grow for show. Have a suggestion for a future topic or a guest? hit me up at thetrumpetgurus at gmail.com. Our opening theme was written and performed by Lexi Signor, and all other music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. So in the words of W.C. Handy, life is like a trumpet. If you don't put anything into it, you don't get anything out. So go out there and let your trumpet sound, and I'll see you at the next hang.